Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, hey, hey. Our test is in the stands. But if y'all waiting on me to apologize, hell gonna oh, freeze. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> Tonight, at the main event, what do we have? Who do we have? You know what it is! It's Taco Tuesday! Welcome to another edition of the Points in the Paint podcast, presented by Stadium Ben Wittenstein. And Zach Badger House. We are with you to talk everything going on in the NBA world. And with this episode specifically, a little things happening in the real world uh, as well, because lots of uh, very important issues going on this past week and, and past weekend as well. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. You can uh, follow us at Points and Paint. You can follow Zach and myself on Twitter. You can follow Stadium on Twitter. Um, and we are all everywhere on social media episodes, at least during quarantine. What, Zach? This is our eighth or ninth quarantine episode, something like that. Yeah, eight or nine too many. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Definitely I, I agree. Too we're, many, too many quarantine hoping, editions uh, of the Points of the Paint podcast. Absolutely. We're hoping at, at some point in the next couple of months we get to record face-to-face, talk some NBA, and actually yell at each other face-to-face about the NBA. <laughs> um, but right now we've, uh, we're doing it from our houses. Zach's in Michigan actually right now, so enjoying the uh, the Michigan air. Yeah, I am enjoying the, uh, the weather. To, uh, to each, I guess so far, so far at least, hasn't done anything dramatic yet so far out here. Uh, just a few miles north, northeast, just if you will. But uh, it's been all right so far. We'll see what happens uh, throughout the week because Michigan weather is unlike any other state. <laughs> it might yes. snow tomorrow. You never know. So yeah, you can say that about most midwestern towns. It's just <laughs> it's a crapshoot at this point. Could be could be a blizzard tomorrow. Um, but let's, so we'll, we'll talk about a lot of the protest stuff happening because there's a lot of NBA players, a lot of NBA people that have been involved in these protests. Um, we'll, we'll be talking about that, um, to finish off this episode, but we'll start, uh, as we always do with the big three, the big three, and the first of our big three big news is the NBA is actually finally targeting a return date. And it sounds like according to our Sham Sharania, July 31st is looking like it might be when the NBA finally returns. July 31st. That's a prominent date. Um, I don't think they, they have, they can't go past that date. If you, if you believe that you're going to return NBA season post July 31st, then I, you got to cancel the season. So I definitely feel like they're going to need that time, you know, in between that, between you know, that whole month of July, to, you know, kind of get ready to bring back the season. Obviously, there there's going to be different scenarios to bring the season back that we're going to talk about. But in the meantime, I think, you know, they have to gather, you know, every team, they have to, you know, break it down to you know, how much time is going to be necessary, how much time is going to be needed before they can actually start playing games. Because, you know, if worst, worst case scenario, they jump right into the playoffs and you don't want to jump right into the playoffs and have guys getting hurt. Or, you know, guys coming out there super rusty, you know, you want to get a good flow and you want to play off basketball to be at its at its best. You know, you want the best product to be out there. And so, you know, that that target date for July 31st is a good date. But if you have to extend it past that, then I don't think we're going to be able to have the rest of this NBA season. What do you think, Ben? Yeah, July 31st definitely seems kind of far. It seems almost like too far away when you first heard it, because. When they first came out with that, it was still May. It was the end of May. So you're like, oh, yep. two months? We have to wait more for, for the NBA. And baseball's already talking about coming back at the start of July. So you were kind of thinking, like, that seems like a little too far off. But with the plan that they put out, it seems like they could possibly do something with it. Because as our Shams reported, there's four different scenarios that they're looking towards. And it really looks like it's at three at this point. Because 
right now, according to the reports, it doesn't look like they're going to just want to play the rest of the NBA season out at this point with the full 30 teams if they don't have yeah. to. Which so they shouldn't. It, I don't think they should. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, it's just you don't need to at this point. I don't need to see the Bulls play meaningless no, games. That's always bringing that up would the make Bulls. Me <laughs> no, I have to. You know, it's it's so sad that they would uh, have to play what twenty more games of <laughs> just meaningless crap basketball. basketball. <laughs> I would like to see uh, them actually get a new coach and kind of see how that would work. But for the last 20 games of the season, but that's not going to happen. Um, you just don't need to see these last place teams play. I don't think these last place teams want to play, um, especially if there's a risk of them getting COVID and they're not even playing for a playoff spot. I don't I don't yeah. really see the motivation there for the players. It's exactly. And even Damian Lillard even said, like, he even came out and said, like, he wouldn't play, you know, meaningless games if he doesn't have a chance to, you know, compete for a playoff spot. Because, you know, currently we obviously know the Portland Trailblazers, they sit outside of the uh, playoff contention right now as of today. You know, if the playoffs were to begin today, you know, they weren't, they weren't, they wouldn't be in. And so he feels like, you know, there's no point in really, you know, risking my health or, you know, my team risking their health in general, you know, to go out here and play meaningless games. And then, like, someone tried to, like, criticize him for saying that. And, you know, calling like Damon Lillard entitled, you know, for uh, for those words. But it's like, how do you get off on, you know, saying something like that, calling an NBA player, you know, entitled for having, you know, for having worry and, you know, awareness about his uh, his safety and player safety on his team, you know, uh, the organization that he plays for. So, I don't know, people pick and choose. It's weird. People pick and choose, you know, when they want to say something, you know, that that could be. That could be misleading, you know. It could be misled in the wrong direction. And, uh, you know, Damian Lillard taking precaution. I, I think all NBA players who aren't, you know, in that position or who are in the same position as Damian Lillard should consider that, you know, not wanting to play because of health factors, you know. But that's yeah, just it's insane. Me. <laughs> I mean, that's insane to be like, oh, he's entitled because he wants to be healthy and not. Why? Why would you want him to play meaningless games? That's so right. stupid. If he's not going to make the playoffs, <laughs> and then there's no point in playing if to risk your health to possibly get an uncurable disease at this point. I mean, it's just, that's insane to criticize someone for that. So I don't, I don't blame Dame for saying that if he wasn't going to be playing for a playoff spot. Now, one of the plans that the NBA put out though, was one where um, they were going to have 20 teams. So that would include four teams that are not in the playoffs currently. Then, so it would be expanded to 20 teams. Everyone would play group stage play, um, get into some of the playoff games as well. I mean, I don't know if the full details have obviously been released or figured out for that yet, but that was one of the that was one of the things that was released along with 22 teams. So they even expanded it to six more teams outside of the playoffs that could have a chance to get in. And I think the cutoff that they said for that 22 team plan would be it would be open to teams within six games of the eighth seed um, of the uh, uh, in the Eastern Conference specifically. It would be open to teams within six games of that. So. That would just be the Washington Wizards for the Eastern Conference. There's only one team within the eighth spot of the Eastern Conference. And then in the Western Conference, it would be five more teams, Blazers, Pelicans, Kings, Spurs. Um, Let's see. I don't like I don't like that, Ben, because I don't like that. I specifically don't like that because, you know, the imbalance of what that is. You only get one extra team out east, but then out west you get five extra teams like that's not that's not fair. And then if we're going to do that, if it's going to be an imbalance where there's more teams in the West than there is in the East, then obviously, you know, what has to come next with that. Right. They have to break up the idea of East versus West. And then it has to be one through 16 now, which is something that they they've talked about, but it hasn't really been put into motion, in, uh, you know, for this, you know, for bringing back this season. So, you know, that's something to consider. And no one's really considered that. And so like that one through 16 playoff format, it definitely has to be in consideration or well, they wouldn't even be one through 16, but like that, that format where it's one through, you know, or 22 or, or if it's like soccer, where it's like the group play or however they do it, it's still going to be imbalanced and it can't be East versus West no more. If you're going to add more teams, because it's going to be more teams on this conference than there is on this conference. And I don't think that works very well. What do you think? Yeah, you kind of have to pull them all together. It seems like if you're going to be doing that with 20 teams, kind of make it into a big pool. Or, or I guess that's where the play-in games come from. I mean, there's they, they talked about like the several formats, and there would be maybe some regular season games to figure out if you could move some of those non-playoff teams into the top eight seed, or you'd have some play-in tournaments to decide who's going to get in the playoffs. And obviously the easiest answer would be just to start the playoffs right away on July 31st and just have those 16 teams make the playoffs. But – 
I'll admit I want to see Portland try to make a run for the playoffs. I would love to see the Kings try to make a run for the playoffs, get my guy De'Aaron Fox into the playoffs. Love to watch that if that's an option, but that imbalance kind of does create an issue because the East is just terrible. The East is so bad right now that the Wizards are the only team not in the playoffs within six games of that eighth spot. So I don't I don't know how they would figure that out, and I don't know if there's really a good way to figure that out. Yeah, I mean, 16, I mean, basically, I feel like they should just, just keep it traditional, you know, having 16 teams going directly into the playoffs. I mean, it's straightforward, you know, it's the cleanest, you know, you're going to have them, you're going to get the support from the owners because it's traditional anyway. And, you know, most uh, most owners like traditional, they don't really be too fond of change unless it's in their favor financially, to be honest with you. I'm just, I'll just be real with you. And so, uh, I mean, like I said, the only difference with the uh, with the format would be like one through sixteen. That'd, that'd be the only scenario I really could see them like doing, considering at least. But I don't really think they would uh, actually go through it all. But like I've seen the different scenarios, you know, the group play for the first round, and you know that would be heavily favored for a team like you know the Milwaukee Bucks or a team like the L.A. Lakers. You know, they'd be pretty fine of having you know the uh, the playoff where it's like a play-in tournament, kind of like a like soccer or whatever. Like if it's like that, where it's like group stage format in the playoffs, that'd be pretty good for a team like L.A. or the Bucks, but it, because they're the number one seeds respectively in each conference, so. You know, but outside of that, it probably wouldn't be too heavily favor- favorable for other teams in the playoffs. So I mean, I, so I mean, I don't know. They the this report talked about also that there was the the players association stressed that it wants several regular season games to be played. So we may, I don't know how these agreements or, or discussions are going to work out, but there may just end up being some regular season games. And we talked about this on past past, uh, past podcasts where they need to have some type of preseason i guess i don't even know if that's the right word but you know like training camps or something to get back into shape because you don't yeah. want you know a 20 pound overweight Giannis onto the coupo coming into to the regular season having not shot a basketball in three months and, you know like you said like i said you want the best product out there for playoff basketball you know so like you yeah. know worst case scenario okay instead of playing 82 games they finish the season with just 72 games so okay you got all so you got the teams that need to finish off that's probably only going to be what eight to 10 games on average between most NBA teams right now, currently anyway. And so if you got those 72, you have those 72 games total, that's probably going to be only like eight to 10 games. And then, you know, they finish those games and that should be enough to kind of get guys in a rhythm into like a rhythm into a flow as you go into the playoffs. If they decide to, okay, bring back some games instead of, you know, jumping directly into the NBA postseason. But this, like I said, there's so many different dynamics to consider, with this, with bringing back the NBA, I don't know if necessarily they have enough time to really get it done. And I'm still on the fence of really knowing if this NBA season is really going to come back or not. I mean, we keep getting our hopes up. We keep getting our hopes up. But weeks and weeks go by, and now it's June 1st. And June 1st, they're supposed to have a plan cut out and put in place. But now we still don't have one yet necessarily, and we still got to continue to wait. But we do have a set target day, at least, you know, for July 31st, to at least bring the season back. So there is some hope. But, you know, nothing's really came out into fruition just yet. But they are, you know, doing their due diligence to get things in motion for, you know, for the NBA fans and for, you know, for the economy, you know, because that that matters. You know, we just keep it we keep it 100. You know, it's just, you know, that matters. The NBA uh, does affect the economy as as a whole, as it relates to this country. So, you know, people want that and people uh, people deserve to have the, the NBA back. So we'll have to wait and see. And knowing how our podcast works, we're going to stop recording. And then like 20 minutes later, they're going to release a full thing of an actual plan of what they have and it's exactly going to happen. And that's exactly what's going to happen with the way this podcast works. So hopefully they, you know, they do come up with a plan and hopefully it, they, they figure something out because it seems like at least that the owners and the players uh, and the players association of Adam Silver, they all at least have some sort of trust with one another. And, and you've seen, and I've seen some articles in the past couple of weeks that have talked about a lot of these owners um, and a lot of these upper management people really talking about how much trust they have in Adam Silver, which I mean, brings us to our second of of the big three, the big three, which is kind of connected to this. But we're seeing how much the MLB is, is struggling with getting their season back. And I think it's a testament to how much trust Adam Silver has gotten from the owners and from the players of how well he can actually run the league. And I think it definitely started with him canceling it right away when Gobert 
got coronavirus and him just shutting down the whole league and and hoping and really making the move for the safety of the players instead of kind of wait and see attitude to try to make as much money as he can before they shut down the league. I think that helped the league and the owners and the players realize that Adam Silver is someone to be trusted in a scenario like this. And he gained a lot of respect from the players and the owners in the way he handled the shutdown and kind of being the leader with all of these other major sports leagues in, in taking action quickly. So I think that's helped with the NBA not having the same issues that major league baseball has had in terms of owners and players mistrust of each other. Um, and Adam Silver and Chris Paul, who's the head of the players association for the yeah, NBA. He's running, yep, he's running point guard right now. He's running point for this whole operation. <laughs> yeah. And they seem to have real trust for each other. And, uh, you know, Silver, you know, he's done a good job, but he has to make that deal, you know, for Walt, for Walt Disney this summer. He has to make that deal in order for guys to really be happy about uh, the progression of, you know, bringing the NBA back. But, yeah, him and Chris Paul both have sat down and, you know, they've been in, you know, Zoom meetings and they've broke it down of, you know, what can be best and what can be suitable for the players and, you know, not having to lose money into this, too. And, you know, the health, the health factors, you know, the personal sacrifices that have to be uh have to be considered and also you know the collective bargaining agreement you know underneath the uh the revenue aspect for for the players in this league too like adam silver has to make sure all that is intact and he will you know that because you know we uh we have trust and faith in him in terms of him being the uh, commissioner for the nba and uh like he hasn't failed them yet like in terms in my eyes adam silver has yet to fail the players you know during this uh during this pandemic and even since he's been commissioner in general and so uh, with the president of Player Basketball Association, that being Chris Paul, you know, they've done a good job of diligence, you know, working behind the scenes and uh, to be able to get, get things done. So we'll have to just wait and see. You know, it's always been a waiting game, but uh, they've been pretty act- proactive as it relates to uh, COVID-19 and trying to bring the NBA back. Yeah, I mean, Rudy Gobert, this this will be talked about for years and years by historians and people looking back. But if, if Rudy Gobert doesn't test positive for coronavirus and the NBA doesn't shut down that exact night and the whole country kind of becomes more aware of it. Who knows how many more people catch it because there's no regulations in place for social distancing or anything like that. It's, it's one of those things that we'll look back in five, 10, 20 years and probably look at it differently and, and look at the NBA in a positive light for being that league that, that made the big first step in, in just saying we're done. We're, we're trying to protect the players as much as possible. And the fact that Adam Silver has, a lot of respect from the players and he has a lot of help also from LeBron James who is actively working with Adam Silver and and he's someone who's understanding of the situation and he's not you know going out and trashing the owners and trashing Adam Silver and making this a harder process for everybody it helps that you know the best player in the league is is helping the players in more ways than not and uh you know Chris Paul like I said he's been running the point throughout this whole scenario he's been and great. so uh, you know, so every, yeah, so the battle, you know, to get this thing going has been unprecedented. And so I've, you know, I'm all for it. I'm all for, uh, the guys, you know, doing whatever it takes to get their league back, you know, cause at the end of the day, this is the players league, you know, it's player driven, you know, yeah. the NBA. And so like, you know, they wanted to get done, but they wanted to get done under, you know, cautious and, you know, you know, good, they wanted to be in good shape. You know, they don't want to have, you know, guys come back and, you know, three or four players on each team has the coronavirus and, and we have to shut the league down again. And then it may take an even longer time. And so now we're going to jump into the following season. So like, there's a lot at stake with bringing this season back that, you know, they want to make sure that they consider and they take care of before they break out a full out plan. But yeah, Chris Paul, he's definitely been jumping on conference calls and OKC with reporters, you know, trying to get everything you know, situated, you know, no one really knows, but we all just have to wait and see, you know? Yeah. And the wide world of sports complex, as you talked about in Orlando seems, I mean, it's not the perfect place, but it sounds pretty damn impressive. They have a ton of courts. Yeah. I've seen the oversight. You just see the oversight. Like you see, like I've seen a video of like the oversight of like the whole campus and how it was looking. It's pretty huge. I I didn't know how big it was. I didn't know it was that big, but that sports complex is pretty huge, man. Yeah, I didn't I didn't see the video, but the I read about it. So is there there's like it's like a big gym, right, with a ton of courts, you know, next to each other is what it sounded well, like. 
it's like they, well the complex is so huge because like it has more than just like basketball and so like there's like baseball outside i've seen tennis courts outside i'm pretty confident i've seen at least one or two football fields like it's a huge like like complex and and you know they're gonna have obviously all the gyms you know available for for the basketball players but there's so much more there than just basketball when i seen the uh the oversight or the overview above it, like the camera angle and everything. And so, you know, yeah, it's, it's a perfect great. place. Yeah. I mean, and it's a perfect venue, you know, to bring back basketball. I mean, also, also we talked about Vegas too. Vegas having four different venues out there too, as well, but it sounds like more so than anything is going to be at, you know, Disney than, uh, than in Vegas, which is probably going to be a safer, uh, decision anyway a decision factor anyway so right and what it seemed like is they have they had the obviously the main gym i think it holds you know five ten thousand people something like that eight thousand people um but then they have a, a big like field house area that has five or six courts next to each other kind of like you know what yeah. you would see on so the the i my ideal scenario and i don't think this is going to happen but would be you know you have four four or five nba games happening at the same exact time to try to get them moving quicker throughout the season and just all happening next to each other, kind of like, you know, a Saturday at an AAU game where you have five or six, seven games yeah, going exactly. on at the same time. Should, that would be amazing. Yep, it should definitely be in like an AAU aspect, AAU kind of format where you got where you got guys that come in and they play at the same time, one and one on this court and one on that court, and then the next day you go from there. And then like like I said, like the playoffs, like if you keep the playoffs traditional, you could it'd be so easy because if you have four venues, then you just have you know each you have four teams play at each venue, four times four is sixteen. So like you know it's really not that hard. And then you have two games, you basically have two games every day at the venue you know no matter what you know so you just alternate and you just alternate you just switch it and then you can even make it even fun like you can put okay so this venue plays here on home games and then this venue plays here for home games or however you want to switch it you can just make it to make it interesting you know you have fans they got to come to this side if we if we have fans and they have to go here and then you know if they and in the next game, they have to go back to this one. And so you just you just keep switching. You just flip flop. You alternate teams playing at these different venues. But on a, on a safe factor, on a health factor, you probably can't do that. You probably want to keep the same teams, you know, in the same venue just to prevent, you know, different uh, different health factors or health risks like, you know, COVID, you know. So those are right. some things just to consider. There's so many different different aspects to really consider with uh with this, you know, with this whole um venue situation with bringing the nba back yeah and it sounds like they're close they're they're kind of rounding that final turn there still needs to be some of those details fixed and, and figured out with how many teams get in and, and where they're going to play and how they're going to play but at least it looks like at the moment as of this recording on june 1st that they are moving towards getting that season by july 31st and, and getting at least some stuff done which is always a good sign and we'll go to our third the big three of our big three and we've finally have some basketball stuff to talk about zach yeah just a little bit you know it's not it hasn't been too hot you know the uh the rumor or whatever but uh you know bradley bill he's been on that trade rumor uh the trade block not necessarily by the uh by the by the washington wizards but you know he's been he's been out there glooming for a uh, potential trade, but he's been on the record saying that he doesn't want to be traded. He wants to die in a Washington Wizards uniform. You know, so he wants Man, to be a, what a Wizard sad for sentence life. That is. Yeah, it might be pretty <laughs> sad, but uh, you know, I mean, he has John Wall that's gonna come back, and we hope that he's you know he's a hundred percent, which he's he's been on the record saying that he is. You know, yeah. he said he's uh he's a hundred percent healthy and he's ready to come back. And ready to uh, compete at a high level for the Washington Wizards, but you know Bradley Bill, you know who signed that extension, you know not too long ago, you know the two-year max extension that gave him a player option for the 2022-2023 season, and he's been you know out, he's been performing lights out you know throughout the course of the year despite having a 24 and uh, 40 record in the NBA, you know he's put up 30 points a game, shooting above 45 percent, you know he's been you know. Uh, a stud for the Washington Wizards. And so, I mean, that's caught the attention of guys like Kyrie and Kevin Durant. And, you know, uh, you know, they've had inquiries about him joining the team. What's your thoughts on, you know, Brooklyn Nets possibly getting uh, Bradley Beal or putting something in the works? What do, what do you think they could do? Like, or what players you think they could possibly, you know, even, even put out there to even get that trade to get Bradley Beal, the Brooklyn Nets? 
Yeah, I think they would at least need to get back a draft pick, you would imagine, especially with the way Beal's been playing. I just, it seems like reading this piece from one of the, the Washington Wizards blogs is, it seems like the Wizards want to at least see how Beal and Wall work together once John Wall comes back. And that's kind of like the main thing that they're focused on right now, because for anyone who's who knows the Wizards and who's watched the Wizards, the John Wall Bradley Beal backcourt has had its ups and downs. Um, and that's not really a compliment. That's that's kind of in detriment to the team because they just have been inconsistent together. And and we saw this with John Wall out. Bradley Beal has done phenomenal and, and he has played super well. And so we just you don't really know how good the John Wall Bradley Beal backcourt can be or if they even can be great. You just, they just may be average together. They may not work well together. They but but then on the other side they may they they may be a well oiled machine on the other end you know because right. we really we really haven't necessarily seen you know this peak of like Bradley Bill with John Wall you know like John Wall was there and then you know Bradley Bill kind of you know he came in next you know through the draft and you know he's been stellar but he hasn't been this stellar or hasn't performed this well with John Wall so you know we can have to wait and see you know what they can do they may be uh. Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum for the East, you know, they may, they may be able to do the same thing, make a run, make the Eastern Conference finals, you know, if they could do something like that, then I could put something, they could put something in the works to, okay, we have something here, but we got to wait and see, you know, next year, you know, what they're going to be able to do with a healthy John Wall. But, you know, I mean, they got, they got Rui Hashimur, they got the young guy with him. They're going to have John Wall and they're going to have Bradley Bill. You got a rim runner and Thomas Bryant. So they got some pieces, you know. You got a couple. They got the uh, the three point contest uh, guy that was in uh, Burton, you know. So he was yeah, Burton. I love Burton. Yeah, yeah. Oh boy, and so he's able to knock down the three ball. So that yeah, uh huh. So that pick and pop, you know, is very suitable for a guy like John Wall. And then you got Thomas Bryant attacking the rim off the pick and roll for him too. And then you got ISO situations with Bradley Beal where you know late late in games he'll be able to close games for you. So the Wizards they have some promise. You know, like I said, they've won 24 games. And, and, you know, in the NBA, if you could, you could, what, 24 and 40, right? So if you can turn that around into a 500, a 500 record, so a 41 and 41 record next year, then you're in a playoff contention. Like, you're in playoff position right there alone if, you you know, if you're sitting out there in the East, if you're the Washington Wizards. So it's it's something bright to look towards if they don't trade Bradley Bill, you know. But if they do trade Bradley Bill, then I would think to the Brooklyn Nets, hypothetically, then like Spencer Dinwiddie has to be a guy that has to, that you have to ask for. And you also have to ask for some picks, too, as well. Like you said, you got to ask for a pick. And you may even have to ask for a guy like Karis Avert, too. You may have to ask for him, too, to, you know, to be out there on the other side of the wing with Bradley Bill. So a lot of things yeah, to consider to. there. Well, it's interesting because the Wizards are, they're in a weird spot because John Wall is 29, Bradley Beal is 26. You could argue Beal is entering his prime right now, and he hasn't played with John Wall in a year and a half. So you could make the argument that you just, you really don't know the true potential of that duo because A, they haven't played in a year and a half together. And even when they did play before that, John Wall was in and out of the lineup and Bradley Beal, you could argue, wasn't in his prime yet. So Maybe they will be the backcourt that Washington wants them to be and expects them to be. And then you have those key pieces, as you mentioned, around them with Brian Bertans and Hachimura all together kind of fitting in to make the team good. But they need to be able to have that identity, too. And, and for them to be able to work together and to find that identity, I think, are the two main things that Washington needs. Now, if they don't work well together, this is one of those teams where you kind of just have to say you got to blow it up as soon as possible because you have a young team with Hachimura, with Bertans, with Thomas Bryant. If you can get some draft picks for Bradley Beal, you can get some young guys in as quickly as possible. But it's one of those things that you need to find out quickly, and they need to do it quickly because this team is – it seems like they're on the fence between being a really good team or they could be on the fence and go the other way to being a rebuilding lottery, team with yeah, a lot of young talent. Lottery, yeah, being another lottery team. But at the same time with the Wizards, you look at it like this, they probably at the most they have two years to really – to really do this before they really have to decide, okay, we're blowing this thing up. So like, and it's really not even two years, really more so within the next like 18 months for you really only got like this next season. And then that off season to really decide, okay, what are we going to do? What direction we're going to go in, especially knowing that like, okay, if John Wall has a superb season, okay, we got, we have something here, 
But if John Wall doesn't look the same and or or him and Bradley Bill don't have the same chemistry that they were starting to build before the injury, then it's then you may have to go into a different direction uh, if you're Washington Wizards front office. But that's going to suck at the same time because it's like, OK, you're going a different direction, which means you have to probably go out and draft another guard. And you just got to go through that same cycle again. And it's like, do the, do the Wizard fans deserve that? I mean, we just went through so much. You know, not making the playoffs, haven't been to the playoffs since John Wall's injury. And, you know, they've been struggling. You know, Wizards has been a struggling team over the course of the last four to five years. And so, you know, all that with the consideration, you let these next 18 months go past, these next uh, 18 months or two years or so, and they still haven't shown anything. You got to blow it up. That's even more time wasted as a Washington Wizards fan. I mean, I'm not a Wizards yeah. fan, but as a Wizards fan, like you would, you know, that would be upsetting. I know. I know a Wizards fan, amazingly, <laughs> and he is he is always depressed about the Wizards. So I, I truly hope that they do something here because I like John Wall and I like Bradley Beal. It'd be nice to see them finally yeah. realize their full potential, show that chemistry and and make the Wizards something um, in the East and have some of that young talent help them along the way. That's all we can hope for with the Wizards at this point. Uh, we'll move on to our next segment. This is the second time we're doing it. So a reoccurring segment now, and we're naming our top players from 2000 to 2010, we did our point guards for our last episode, um, which was yes, a lot of fun. We did. Um, and we had a guest. Yeah, we had we had uh, Rizzo on as our guest. Uh, he picked Gilbert Arenas as a point guard, which I did not expect him or anyone to pick. But Gilbert Arenas, long forgotten guy. Hey, not, I don't know about long Age forgotten, zero. but uh, Age of Zero Hibachi. Man, he was Damian Lillard and Steph Curry before Steph Curry and Damian Lillard. So, if, <laughs> and if you watch basketball, you understand what I mean by that cross half court and just in is he's in range and he'll turn yeah. around while the ball's in the middle of the air like it's good. And nine times out of ten, it probably is. So yeah, Hibachi was one of those definitely unique point guards that was actually one of the first like scoring point guards we had started to see emerge in this NBA. So yeah, uh, hats off to uh, Rizzo definitely for uh for choosing hibachi so like who'd you pick this week for uh for that shooting guard you see how we did that transition talking about Bradley Bill. now we jump over here and talk about the shooting guard so throughout that 2000 to 2010 era of great basketball who was that shooting guard that you just couldn't keep your eyes off of uh ben so there's a lot uh a lot of really good options and you it mentioned is. a lot in in our in our google doc of of the show you mentioned a lot of really good honorable mentions um but the one guy I want to pick and the one guy who I absolutely love growing up and just watching, and he was must-watch TV for anyone um, just because of how exciting he was, how fun he was to listen to talk, um, and it's Allen Iverson for me. You have to go with AI. I wanted a shooting sleeve so badly for most of my <laughs> elementary, middle school life because of Allen Iverson. Um, you cut kid. socks. I know you did. You cut, oh, yeah, you yeah, cut yeah. off socks. You cut, cut off plenty socks. of socks. You had, the baggy, uh, you had the baggy shirt. <laughs> Uh, with no with no sleeves and you had the shooting sleeve it was a perfect Allen Iverson the shooting line. sock you had the shooting sock that was cut up into a sleeve that's what you had because we all been in that scenario we all we all been in there where we've probably put a hanger in between the wall in between the door of our bedroom they got this got they cut up the sock on the, <laughs> to cut up the, the longest sock that you have you know, probably cut it up at the end and then put it on your arm and now you're in your room shooting socks in a hanger and then your mama just you know she walk in your room and she cussing you out because you're scratching up her walls because <laughs> you're putting the hanger in between the door scratching up the walls but mama i'm just trying to be like alan iverson this is how <laughs> alan iverson did it and so no without question man alan iverson was definitely um he was just influential in general, like outside of being a pound for pound, like, you know, great basketball player. He just, he changed the culture for sure. You know, like it was, that was amazing. I mean, he, like, I went to a bulls, a 76ers game in, I want to say 2003. Uh, and I, I was lucky enough. I was with a friend who we got like semi courtside seats. So they were kind of courtside, but they were like right near the tunnel for the visitors for the 76ers. So, when he came off the court for halftime, stuck my hand out, got a high five, and it was one of those, you know, I'm never going to wash this hand in the next 50 years. <laughs> it was just amazing to see Allen Iverson two feet away giving me a high five. And I was just, it was amazing for my, you know, eight-year-old self at that point. And I always wanted that shooting sleeve. I never understood the point of a shooting sleeve. 
I still don't really understand the point of a shooting sleeve, but my God, I wanted a damn shooting sleeve if I could get one. Keep, hey, it keeps your arm warm. It keeps that. It keeps that that uh that trigger arm ready and ready to go. It's not cold. You won't get cold. You keep your you keep your body. Hey, I'm serious. You keep your I, body no, warm. I, keeps your arm warm. You, you never you never cold. You stay hot. You stay hot that way. You stay hot and ready to go. Ready you on the bench. Whether you you know you haven't touched the ball in a while. You haven't had that many touches. Keeps you keeps, warm. Keeps you ready. Keeps you on go mode. But uh, no, without question, uh, Allen Iverson definitely. You know, he's a scoring champ four times, and he's only six feet tall. Like who does that, right? You know, he's been an MVP in this league. You know, uh, he's dropped fifty points in a in an NBA Finals game. You know, he's he's a stud without question. He was Allen Iverson uh, yeah, is a he, stud. He was the <laughs> NBA in the early two. Hell, I, dude, I wanted a. One of those finger sleeves. He he used some of the finger oh, yeah, sleeves yeah, that Kobe yeah, used a little bit too. That I I want to just sleeve my whole hand up. Arm sleeve, finger sleeve, <laughs> baggy pants. It was just that was the greatest. That Allen Iverson was huge for that. You know, every yeah, everyone wanted to be Allen Iverson on the basketball court. And the fact that he was barely six foot. I mean, there's yeah. no way he was actually six feet. But the six fact that he was five eleven, six feet, and being someone who I knew wasn't going to grow taller than six feet, I was like this. This guy's a damn hero for everyone <laughs> under six feet who is not going to grow to be six five. He's only one hundred and sixty five pounds, and so yeah. he just uh, he's just a dog, man. Like Allen Iverson was just a dog on the court, man, without question. He dropping thirty at will, just like only six feet. And then like I've heard stories about Allen Iverson where like you know, see he'd go out and party and have a good time the night before, and then come in the gym and drop forty. And then, like, his teammates looked around, like, because J.R. Smith had brought this up one time when I was watching him on a, in an interview, and he was saying, like, they'd go out and party back in Denver, like the Denver Nugget days. They'd go out and party hard, too, like, go hard in the paint, knowing they got a game the next day, next game. AI come out and drop, like, 42, 8, and 9, and it's like, how did you a even legend. do that? We just went out and just partied so hard the night before. But then you could just come in here and just drop like 40, like it's nothing. And J.R. Smith's like, yeah, yeah, we needed that 42 because I probably had a bad game because I actually did party too hard. And, you know, so it's just, it's hilarious just to hear like, you know, different stories about how good, like how good of a basketball player, how great of a basketball player can be under like those type of circumstances. Like I can go out, party hard, you know, do my thing and still go out here and perform, you know, like nothing happened. Like you wouldn't never even know that. That's all you want a role model. You want the guy that can get just pissed drunk, wake up and just murder a team the next day. That's that's a legend. That's someone who should have been in the Hall of Fame before he would retire, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, so like you know, we you know, we mentioned Allen Iverson as being that guy for us, but you know, I know guys who love Kobe Bryant, obviously, you know, God rest his soul. You know, players love him. I remember his best season for me, Kobe Bryant's best season for me, he doesn't win a championship in that season and he hardly even makes the playoffs in that season but it's the season where he drops 81 points you know the 2005-2006 season that to me you know Kobe that's like Kobe Bryant's like best season that I've ever personally seen you know so he goes out there average 35.4 points a game you know he's you know so he a beast and then outside of Kobe you know what I'm saying you obviously got you got Dwayne Wade you know so he was a, you know so he was a legend obviously he won a championship his first three years in the league so, you know, he's a stud right there in his own right mm-hmm. off that alone, you know, in 2006. So him being a finals MVP, you know, saying that early, taking the league by storm, what, get drafted in 2003. So you're in the playoffs, you're what, your third year, and then you're in the NBA finals, your, your, uh, your second year, you in the playoffs, your third year, you're in the NBA finals, like that fast. So, you know, he, when he came in the league, he set the storm, he set the, uh, the league on fire without question. And then you got, Obviously, uh, a lot of people probably won't even say this, but uh, Manu Ginobili, you know, what I'm saying? He, yep. he was definitely, yeah, Manu Ginobili was the definitely for me at least, for me at least, right, the back killer. For me, he was one of those uh, top shooting guards, and, and at that time too, coming off the bench for uh, for the San Antonio Spurs. And I hate the Spurs too, so like you know, I hated the Spurs. They were black and white. You know, what I'm saying they boring, but you know, still, <laughs> you know, uh, no, for real, but still, but. Um, you still got Manu Ginobili out there coming off the bench, you know, giving Popovich that spark. You know, he was definitely obviously one of the key pieces, you know, for those championship runs. And another guy, my guy, you know, my favorite player, you know, Vince Carter. 
you know, Vincent Lamar Carter, you know, that's my dude, you know, said Daytona Beach, Florida, you know, that's, you know, January 26, 1977 out of North Carolina, you know, that's my dude, you know, what's understood don't need to be explained, you know, he the best dunker ever. So like, you know, if you want to see just seven minutes of just nonstop, you know, athleticism, just go to YouTube and type in Vince Carter. <laughs> that's all you need, you need. That, that's really the only explanation you need <laughs> so you know but who were some of those great shooting guards for you i mean there's a lot of guys i didn't mention but you know who was uh who were some of the guys for you outside of the guys that i named that you paid close attention to that you admired well this is the, the bulls fan in me um and this was like one of the second or third guys that came to mind when you talked about shooting guards but as the bulls fan in me i loved ben gordon Love that's ben so gordon. weird no, he was good though. Ben Gordon was good. He just came off the bench. Yeah. You know, he Sixth man a, of the year. Yeah, he wasn't a super superstar, but uh, he definitely got the job done for for the Chicago Bulls. He was coming off the pine. He he just played. He played ten years too early. Is what happened. If he had played in the mid two thousand tens, I mean, he would have been incredible. He would have been paid fifteen twenty million dollars a year for his shooting, and he just yeah, was that would be yeah, yeah, his shooting. Yeah, his shooting in today's era, in today's basketball, could definitely be used because he would knock it down at some crucial moments too. And you know, he come out. Ben Gordon's coming off the bench, and he's still lighting it. Like he's like a key player. So like, I feel like Ben Gordon was he was bigger than the Jamal Crawfords or the uh, the Nick Youngs or the Lou Williams in terms of like six men. I feel like he had a bigger oh, impact. Yeah than those guys did for those teams. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, Lou Williams does have, like, the most bench points ever or whatever. But, like, I just like I just feel like at pivotal moments and key moments in games, Ben Gordon was definitely, you know, not on the bench and was definitely no. on the floor. And the main Chicago. reason for that was for that mid-2000s team, for those baby Bulls teams in 03 through, like, 06 or 07, he was the main offensive weapon for them. They didn't really have any other main offensive scores. But my boy Kirk Heinrich, love him to death. Wasn't a score, so no, they needed they needed a score. Like 10, 12 points. <laughs> Lou Aldang wasn't really a score, so it really, they left it up to Ben Gordon to kind of be that guy to create offense, and he was just amazing at it. He had some amazing game-winning three-point shots. He was a great catch-and-shoot guy. Terrible defender, but other than that, he was that's his why offense he came, came off the bench. That's why <laughs> he came off the bench. Absolutely right. Because he lacked defensively. Absolutely he lacked right. Defensively. The other guy I wanted to mention <laughs> – who I just despised growing up until he became part of the Bulls was Richard Hamilton. That's funny. That's hilarious. But just off the strength of like, I know like what annoys you and like what's bothering you. He studied coming off all those screens and he's just oh. running the baseline all day, just baseline to baseline, coming off the elbow, coming off the elbow, shooting the mid range. And it, he's just a tyrant because like he, I've heard like, I heard he has long nails. And so like when he's running and he's like, he may scratch you. And like, so like he's the offensive player, but he's scratching you and you got all these marks and you're on defense and he's just study going back and forth going back and forth going back and forth just study just study tearing you up while you're on defense study how to the hell out of me the miss the mid-range jump shot just study going but no richard hamilton was definitely one of those guys i paid attention to and he was hard not to see you know he had the face mask you know so yep. most of his career so having that face mask you know you knew you knew that was him and uh he was definitely a great mid-range jump shooter you know and he knocked down a three ball too but like man his ability to come off of those screens man and knock down those shots along the baseline and and on the wing he was definitely stellar so yeah i like richard hamilton uh ben gordon ray allen you know we didn't mention ray allen but uh you know ray allen was superb in seattle and in milwaukee you know most of his athleticism is displayed in his uh, milwaukee days that being uh, yeah. Ray Allen. so was, uh, yeah. i mean ray allen was great i mean talk about how good of a shooter Ben Gordon was. Ray Allen was, you know, 10 times that. And that's how good he was. Mm -hmm. Incredible three-pointer. And you mentioned Dwayne Wade. Obviously, you can't not mention him and, and the success that he's had. But I just – I wanted to talk about the shooting guards that a lot of people may not have remembered a ton. So I thought Ben Gordon and Rip Hamilton were kind of those guys Ray Allen people love. Um, I'm just – I'm looking at a list right now and just shooting off names. Michael Red. <laughs> talk oh, yeah, about a forgotten it. guy. Michael oh, Red. Yeah. Yeah, un, unsung hero from Milwaukee. Early. Yep, uh, he was number twenty-two, left-handed out of uh, Milwaukee Bucks. He he made an All-Star team at least once or twice. He he was pretty good. I like Michael Red because on the strength he was left-handed and I'm left-handed. So yeah, same you know, I, I, yeah, I play. I, 
I pay respect to all the left hand left handed basketball players out there. Yeah, so you know what? That's what we got to do. We'll we'll do the starting five. We'll do you know small forward, power forward, center, and then we'll do greatest <laughs> left handed players of all time. Pick our favorite lefties. But that's what we'll do next. Or our next episode, I guess, we'll do uh, small forwards, which is that's a lot to pick from. In Ooh, that's a lot to pick from in, from 2000 to 2010. But it might be. But if you if you if you do it right, you know you may not don't have you may not have like the early birds in there. If you don't have the early early bird, well the later guys in there. And if you have the early birds as your selection, then you'll probably be good. Right. All right. So so far for me, my point guard Steve Nash, shooting guard Allen Iverson, and your and your team so far. Yeah, it's gonna be um, who we got. We got uh, Allen Iverson at the two, and who was at my one. Uh, was it Chris Paul? I think Chris Paul was my one. Yeah, That's so a short backcourt. <laughs> or did you do AI as well? Yeah. So Allen Iverson and Chris Paul. That's a short backcourt. So my that is, my, my three, four, and five, they got to all be giants that, <laughs> from here on out. They all got to be giants. Oh, my, my. Yeah, you got to get Yao Ming as your center, man. You got to make right. up some of that height. <laughs> and that's a, right, good, a good choice, too. Oh, I like that. I like what you is. did. You got some yummy. You got to add some height there. Um, we'll go to uh, overreaction. Or no. Or no. And now, well, what's our overreaction or not? Non-playoff teams, right? So non-playoff contenders sit out the rest of the season. Should that happen? Is that an overreaction? I don't think so. I don't think so. That's yeah, what... we hit on this a little bit, but yeah, what what was your? So you don't think so? You don't think non-playoff contenders should? be done for the year already you think they should have a chance to make the playoffs well i don't think they should but um i know why they want to you know and i think we both know why they want to oh yeah for sure because because you mentioned it and then i saw it a little bit earlier uh, last week too and i didn't like that like the idea oh let's get zion in the playoffs let's get the new orleans pelicans in the playoffs. Like, i don't like to try to just put them in the playoffs just so y'all can have like viewership and have high and have high ratings when they didn't work they didn't put in the work and he uh, zion didn't even put in enough work you know he spent you know more than half of the season you know in a suit you know in a t-shirt you know not playing so for him to even even him or the, uh, the pelicans to even be considered to make the playoffs despite not being in playoff contention right now is unfair. Like that's unfair in my eyes. Like I don't like regardless of who it is. Like it doesn't even have to. You could flip it. It could be John Moran. It could be John Moran uh, sitting outside the playoffs. It could be Zion currently in the playoffs. Even if you flip it, like I'm not gonna sit here and say that. Okay, yeah, no, John Moran. You know they should find a way to get you know the Memphis Grizzlies in the playoffs. No, they didn't deserve it. They didn't. They didn't win enough games. So if you didn't win enough games to be in the playoff contention, we don't need to try to add more teams in the playoffs just so you know it can benefit, you know, the ratings or the viewership in the NBA. Like that it shouldn't work that way. Yeah. No, I think I think it's an overreaction that non playoff teams should sit the rest of the season because especially if the NBA players want a little bit of a regular season, I think you should have that regular season mean something. Now, do I think the Knicks or the Bulls or the Hornets should all be vying to get in the playoffs when they're already seven, eight, nine games back, things like that. I don't think so. I think it should be. I think that six game limit is pretty solid. Now it does create a bit of an imbalance with the Eastern and the Western conferences. Um, but I think if you're just all fighting for that eighth spot, at, if it's just going to be 16 teams that do make the playoffs, I don't really mind that imbalance because if it's just Portland, uh, if it's the Blazers, the Pelicans, the Kings, the Spurs and the Suns all fighting for one spot that the Memphis Grizzlies have, I am okay with that as long as it's still eight teams from the West that make the playoffs. So it's going to be a battle. And I think the trailblazers and the Pelicans and the Kings and the Spurs and the Suns have all earned the chance to make the playoffs because of the way they played and how close they are to that a spot. And if you're going to have a regular season, you might as well mean something. So I think they deserve to try to get that spot. The same with the wizards. The wizards are five and a half games back of the magic. They just get in under that six game threshold I would love to see Rui Hachimura in the playoffs. I think he would be fun to watch. Same with Bradley Beal just playing his ass off right now. That would be awesome to see Bradley Beal uh, at least try to make a run for the playoffs. So if you're going to have regular season games, I, I think they have to mean something. So you try to get some of these teams in. But just don't make arbitrary rules that just put Zion in the playoffs because right. of Zion. Right. That's, that's what's going to annoy me. Like That's going to be just like 
unfair and it's going to be right in your it's going to be right in your face like we meant like we meant to do this like we purposely wanted to put new orleans pelicans in the playoffs so everyone could see zion and that's not okay that's not like that's not sweet like that's not something you should do or or even consider like if they didn't make the playoffs because they didn't win enough games and that's what it should be like don't try to make it so like it's suitable for them to make the playoffs when they didn't deserve it like rightfully so and like that's not even like, that's not even a knock to Zion, but, like, Zion, you know what I'm saying, he didn't even play enough games. So, like, in my eyes, Zion shouldn't even be considered for rookie of the year. He didn't, he didn't qualify to play enough games. Like, he didn't play enough games. Like, regardless of, like, how good, you, how much of an impact you had immediately or whatever, like, you didn't play enough games to be considered to, you know, be rookie of the year. The Pelicans, they didn't have you long enough in the season for you to uh, have them in the playoffs, you know, yeah, you have a winning record while while you're back, but you haven't been here long enough to have them in true playoff contention right now. So, you know, they got to wait till next year. And what's wrong with waiting till next year, Ben? Like, what's what's wrong with that? I don't understand. Yeah, I mean, at this point, too, especially if you're considered, if you're worried about your health, if you don't think you're going to make the playoffs, it's going to be a weird time to come back for anyone who's even in the playoffs, for the Lakers down to the Heat, down to the Rockets, down to anyone. It's going to be weird. So, there's no shame in just being like, all right, we're not going to make the playoffs this year. It's going to be weird anyway for the playoffs. We'll just wait till next year. Well, we're going to have a start probably around Christmas is what it looks like, and, and you'll have a full regular season to make the playoffs at that point. So I, I don't think it's it's wrong to, to want to stay out of the playoffs. I don't think it's wrong to just kind of feel weird about it starting even now. So as much as it, as fun as it would be to see Zion in the playoffs, I, like you said, right. I don't think he should be anyone should be ashamed of him not making the playoffs. You know him. We and we all know he'll be exciting, and you know he's going to be box office. You know if you know if they were were to be in the playoffs, but you know there's always next year, champ. You know that's what happens. Yeah, you don't you, you know, don't get a you don't get it handed to you at this point just because there's a pandemic. You know, yeah, you got to earn it. Right. There's no participation points <laughs> for this. You know anything like that. You know you can earn it next year. You know you, you guys come back. Hopefully they resign Brandon Ingram and come back and see what happens next year. You know for the uh, for the Pelicans. But yeah, do we have plenty of time to see Zion Williamson in the playoffs? We don't have to push it and force it. You know his rookie year. You know we don't have to necessarily do that. We got plenty of time. At least you know the next ten to fifteen years to yeah. see Zion Williamson in the playoffs. He'll he'll be around a while and he'll probably in the playoff, be in the playoffs for most of the time that he's around, I would imagine, for, for how good of a player and, and how good the Pelicans are looking at least at this point. So hopefully they don't force anyone into the playoffs because of TV ratings. Would it be very NBA to do so? Absolutely. That is, that is something the NBA has known to do and absolutely will do again now, especially when they're looking for TV ratings and to get that TV money. So I wouldn't put it past the NBA to, to do that. Uh, I wouldn't blame them for doing that. I just, you know, I wouldn't. It wouldn't. It's not something I would look and be like, "Yay, awesome!" I'd just be like, "Come on, well, what are you doing?" That right. would be my reaction <laughs> at that point. Uh, all right, so NBA Twitter. This is the point where we come to talk about what NBA Twitter is talking about this week. And Ooh, wait, it's man, a little, it's a, it's a lot. Yeah, it's if a you've lot. been around Twitter for the past three, four, five, six days, it has been absolutely a lot. And hopefully, you are reading through Twitter and, and listening to people. Um, but especially with the NBA players. And it's no secret the NBA has been on the forefront of, of racial issues and, and standing up for, for what they believe and a lot of the players talking about it as well. But, Zach, we're seeing a lot of NBA expression about the death of George Floyd and, and police brutality. Yeah, you know, Adam Silver, among with, you know, NBA teams and NBA personnel, NBA players, they've all expressed, you know, outrage in regards to uh, George Floyd's death. And, you know, it's been a tragedy from, uh, you know, from the beginning, you know, it's, it's just another tragedy, you know, it's just, it's another one, you know, it's another one that we have to talk about. It's another one that, you know, that they have to go out there and they have to protest and scream. And, and, and now these, now these protests have become riots because people are just so angry and so hurt and, you know, just so, such at a, at a bad place. You know, we have this pandemic going on and then you have a pandemic going on and then you lose, like we're losing people be, through, you know, racial injustices, you know, throughout this country. And we have to deal with that while dealing with the pandemic too, at the same time, you know, so it's not, so it's like, it's not normal, but it's, it's like in society, this is becoming a new norm where we have to sit here and, and grieve and, and talk about, you know, the injustices and inequalities of, you know, 
of this country based off, you know, racial different race differences or religion differences or whatever the case may be. And so, like, you know, it's tough, man, you know, and being a celebrity, you know, for an NBA player, you know, that uh, Jalen Brown touched on. He said being a celebrity doesn't doesn't exclude him. And that's what I want. You know, all athletes to understand, no matter what color you are, all coaches to understand, no matter what color you are, like, you know, this is a conversation that can be had for everyone. Everyone can be a part of this conversation because it's supposed to matter, you know, for everybody and, you know, to everybody. It's supposed to matter, you know, in general for everyone, because this is a problem for everyone. This isn't a black problem or a white problem or or, you know, a certain religion problem or anything like that. Like, this is just a flat out problem, like in this country right now. And it's at its highest peak because, you know, people are upset. People are angry. Like, look at the world. Like, look at the news. People are like cars are on fire. Buildings are burning down. Like people are frustrated. People are angry. And so for these NBA players to, you know, go out here and say something and make a difference, you know, whether it's Jalen Brown or, or Michael Brogdon or Chris Paul or, you know, at the highest, at the highest level of basketball players being LeBron James or, uh, like I said, Chris Paul or or whomever the case it may be, like, you know, Josh Okoji or even Mark Cuban that said something, Dwight Powell, but non-black players, you know, speaking out, though, that's what matters, too. So, like, Maxi Kleber, you know, guys like that, you know, uh, different owners being able to uh, express their uh, their anger and frustration throughout this country and what they failed to do as a whole. And, you know, Adam Silver, being on, being on the forefront as a commissioner, you know, I I, uh, I tip my hat off to him because, you know, he's always on the front line when it comes to uh, racial injustices uh, as it relates to this country. And so uh, I commend I, I salute him and he's always going to do his due diligence to be uh, proactive in this league in the NBA. You know, so I always commend him on that. But, yeah, you know, there's a lot of change that uh, that obviously needs to come and. You know, it's a good thing that even retired players and uh, current players like Udonis Haslam or, you know, Stephen Jackson, even Trey Young have, you know, said something and had spoke up. But it's time that all players, not just black players, but, you know, white players, you know, white, white athletes, black athletes, all athletes or all people across the world, you know, to do their due diligence to speak up about uh, these sort of problems. Yeah, Carl, you know? seeing Carl Anthony Towns out there, uh, I think it was Saturday, but seeing, you know, losing, knowing he lost his mom to, to COVID what was it three weeks ago, something yep. like that. And then to go out in, in, like you said, in the middle of a pandemic to go out, that shows you how much he really cares about this subject about police brutality and about black lives matter and everything like that. I mean, that is incredible to see him going out with Josh Kogi in Minnesota at the heart of it all. And, and going out and protesting after, after losing your mother two or three weeks ago. I mean, that's insane. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is amazing commitment to, to the cause. And that's what, and you know, being like, like there's no days off, you know, for being black in America. Like, so like being black in America is already tough. And so to have to deal with, you know, losing your mom to a, to a virus that's not being treated for people that look like you at the same rate as everyone else or being considered or taken care of at the same rate as everyone else, you have that going on with the pandemic on top of, you know, not being treated fairly in this country by those who don't look like you and those with the higher, higher authority than you are. You have to sit there, you have to deal with that and watch people who look like you, who don't have that, that same luxury and that same type of NBA talent as you to be out here in the streets and they losing their loved ones and losing people that they care about. And it's, it affects you. It affects you when it went. And it should affect everyone. But like it affects him, you know, from that standpoint, because I, I get that as me being a fellow black man in America. Like you, you see what you see and it triggers you. It hurts you. And so like for him to go out there and be, you know, like you said, on the front line in Minnesota where, you know, George Floyd was uh, was murdered, then, then that's huge. You know, that's, that shows a huge impact. And uh, a huge difference to put, you know, his face out there at a time like this, like you said, at a time where you just lost, you know, the person who gave birth to you. Like So, like, there's nothing there's uh, nothing uh, higher than that, you know, in terms of like courage and like bravery to be able to step up and do something like that during this time, like during your own personal time, like your own personal matter, you know, because you lost someone, you lost a loved one. So, yeah, absolutely. And you've seen we've seen some teams, I think all. 30 NBA teams have released statements, um, some definitely better than others. Um, I know the Wizards had a really good statement that they that they put out. Um, if you do have Twitter, you can check out what the Wizards said. Doc Rivers had an amazing statement that he put out for the Clippers 
um, that, that you guys should go read if, if you have a chance. Um, but I mean, Doc Rivers is one of those guys who I mean, he had his house burned down because of of racist uh, incitements. And I think it was because he said he married a white woman and people were not happy about that. So they burned his house down. So he's someone if you want to listen to what why this is going on, why these protests are going on. I mean, Doc Rivers is one of those guys in the NBA who people should listen to because he knows what he's talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned uh, Doc Rivers, but even also like a coach like Dwayne Casey, you know, 54 years ago, that's his current age. Well, that's not his current age, but 54 years ago, him being an eight-year-old boy in, uh, in Kentucky where, you know, schools were just recently desegregated. And, you know, he was helpless. He felt helpless all the time because of the impact of, like, you know, racial inequality and, like, uh, you know, racism that he had to encounter at such a young age. And, you know, there weren't cell phones around that time or 24-7 media coverage or, you know, no cable news station or anything like that to, you know, to be able to address these issues you know back then you know that long ago so to feel you know to feel that same way you know 54 years later he said you know you still feel helpless like frustrated even with the uh impact of social media and cameras and and cell phones and having all these news outlets you have all these different platforms to you know to provide proof that this is real this is something that's affecting people you know every single day and, you know, to not have anything ha- have happen or any change really be put in place, you know, that's, you know, that's kind of where we're at right now. And so it's tough. And people want their voices to be heard. And it's a good thing that, you know, NBA players are doing their, doing their due diligence to do that, you know, put their boots on the ground and have their, have their voices be heard throughout their community, throughout this NBA community, you know. So I commend all these young guys, all these young players to do that. But the biggest question that I started to see, you know, as Twitter was kind of heating up with this conversation being was, you know, where are the white coaches or, you know, where are the uh, white athletic directors at these colleges where, you know, they go in all these college coaches or athletic directors or whatever, they go and sit in these parents' living rooms and, you know, they go and they take these kids, they take these recruits in for, you know, whether it's two to three years or six months, whatever the sport is, whatever the case may be. But like, do you really care about what happens to this kid, you know, post that? Like, do you really care or do you or is this about the program? Is this about the child or is this about the program? So there's always different scenarios, different dynamics to look at things in terms of like who's going to step up and uh, put their voice out, put their voice out there in times like this. And I think that's very critical if we're going to have real progress, you know, in this country moving forward. Right. And it's important to see of these people who are high in the community, like coaches, like basketball and football coaches and people who do have a platform to speak who are white to see if they do use that platform or if they stay silent, because, you know, at this point, it does seem like and it probably is true that people who do stay silent are hurting more than they are helping at this point, especially if you're a white coach uh, or a white person with any type of platform. You, you got to be helping out at this point rather than hurting. And I mean, at this point, not speaking out about something like this does feel like you're hurting in the majority of, of not doing anything. Exactly. Uh, exactly, Ben. Exactly. And so it seems, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. I know the NBA, too. I mean, they've. This when Eric Gardner, the whole Eric Gardner, I can't breathe situation. They were at the forefront of standing up for what they believed in for that. They wore shirts um, that says I can't breathe. And and there's those pictures of LeBron and Kobe and, and all these NBA players wearing shirts that say I can't breathe. And it was at that time, people were shocked and amazed and asking questions and everything like that. Um, why NBA players would do something like that. And the NBA was very supportive of their players doing that. So if the NBA season does come back, it'll be interesting to see what the players do, if anything, about this. Because the protests aren't going away and these thoughts aren't going away, So, nope. uh, at least in the next two months. So we'll have to see if, if the players do something. Because, you know, unlike the NFL or the NHL or Major League Baseball, it does seem like people look towards the NBA to speak about these things more than any other league. That's true. Uh, I definitely agree with that. And they're going to be the most proactive uh, league to do so because, you know, that's that's obviously the league with the most black players uh, outside of uh, the NFL. And so, you know, when you have that dynamic put in place like that, then, you know, and it being a player's league where like, you know, 
without LeBron, like what is the NBA? You know, that sort of thing. When you have that sort of impact in your league where you could be able to speak up and try to make change and try to make a difference. So guys like Carmelo Anthony, Chris Paul, Dwayne Wade, you know, retired, now retired, but, but still you have other, uh, other, you know, NBA, other great NBA players too that have the ability to speak up too, like Michael Brogdon, Jason Tatum, uh, Jalen Brown, you know, you have all these players, uh, Paul George is out there. He's speaking out and he's speaking up. Trey Young, like we mentioned before earlier in the podcast and even Steven Jackson, who's been on the forefront of all of this. And I commend Steven Jackson, who has been on the forefront of all this since, you know, the passing of George Floyd, you know, through the the injustice and uh, the racism that uh, took place as we sat there and we watched a man on the ground for eight minutes with a knee in his neck. So, you know, it's tough. It's tough to dissect. It's tough to talk about. But uh, it's the only way we're going to get real progress is if we talk about it. Right. And so uh, it's a good job. It's a good job that, uh, you know, the NBA players and the NBA uh, front offices have uh, set out, put out those statements, you know, saying that, saying what they said. And if you want to see those statements, you know, all you have to do is go to NBA.com slash news and get the full statements from each of the uh, organizations in the NBA. Yeah. And there was a thread on Twitter that was counting all the players there. Uh, it, to me, it looked like they counted 20 NBA former and current players who, who attended a protest. Um and then one NBA owner, NBA owner, which was Mark Cuban, who was there along, as you mentioned, with Jack, Justin Jackson, Dwight Powell, Maxie Kleber, Brunson. Uh, they were all at a rally in Dallas. So uh, it's good to see Cuban, uh, the only owner, joining with his players and doing this, doing these protests, which, uh, I mean, I guess good, good for him and, and good for showing up. Yeah, absolutely. And so if you have nothing, Ben, you have nothing else to add. I have nothing else left to add. <laughs> I think you can take us out. All right. You know that, you know, that's a tough topic, but, uh, you know, that concludes this edition of the points in the paint podcast. Make sure you follow myself and Ben at Ben Winstein, of course, on Twitter and make sure you follow Shams on Twitter for all your latest and up-to-date news and information as it relates to the NBA. You always got to follow Stadium on Twitter if you haven't already. And make sure you listen to Trash and Treasure with Amina and Felder, who drop once a week, usually every Thursday. And we try to come out during this quarantine, uh, during all this quarantine nonsense and this quarantine mess, we try to drop every every two weeks, uh, at least every Monday or every Tuesday uh, during this time. And like I said, that concludes this uh, edition of the Points in the Paint podcast, and we'll see you guys next time. Yeah.